Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Ontario's Premier says anyone in the province who wants a coronavirus test can now get one. If you're worried if you have COVID-19 or that you've been exposed to someone who has COVID-19, even if you're not showing symptoms, please go get a test. Rumours about Stephen Harper being drafted into the Conservative leadership race. He's still got lots of people working inside the Conservative movement that are loyal and faithful to him. I'm not sure you'd start it with a riding association president, Pontiac Quebec. I think maybe you'd start it with a, a big-name Conservative saying, look, it's time to stop what we're doing and let's see if Stephen Harper wants to come back. And what can we expect in the House of Commons during what was supposed to be the final month of the spring session of Parliament? Instead of being open with Canadians, the government is shutting down questions they don't like or don't want to answer. That is all wrong. And all of these issues underscore why Parliament must resume on Monday. It's Monday, May 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer. Peter, thank you for joining us. Hi, Mark. Good to talk to you again. Let's talk about where we go from here as a new week begins. Uh, There is a lot of talk of the risk of a second wave of the coronavirus because there are people who are returning to normal on a couple of levels. First of all, in many parts of the country, we had great weather on the weekend, and that sent people uh, out again, uh, as they have done in on recent weekends, to to uh, enjoy the weather. And there are people complaining... To, to, to do their best to try and precipitate the second wave. <laughs> <laughs> so it would seem in some cases, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that going on. And then, of course, there are more institutional uh, milestones that are happening. Businesses reopening, some stores reopening, that sort of thing going on. Uh, meanwhile, in Ontario... The Premier, who uh, has been critical of the lack of testing that's happened so far, is now telling Ontario residents, go out and get tested. Everybody, not limited to to certain people or even people with symptoms. He's now saying everybody should be tested. So what's going on there? If if you think there's the slightest possible chance, even if you're asymptomatic, that you could have COVID-19, go get tested. And I think it's just the latest sort of chapter in, in... in a sort of uh, constantly changing um, saga here of what exactly Canadians are expected to do and how do we know that we are doing what we're supposed to be doing to mitigate against the second wave. The testing thing, I think, is turning out to be a a huge boondoggle and a real confusing thing for Canadians. I mean, I I get it in in provinces where there are very few cases, they've flattened the curve and, and they're actually... Um, you know, planking the curve. They're 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 really doing a good job of of keeping numbers low, and yet you look at a place like Ontario where the case numbers are still pretty high, and they've gone from a, a different sort of a different testing regimen almost every week. It's first it was, you know, uh, only these people will get tested. Then it was these people plus these people, and now it's those people. And last week, Doug Ford was talking about testing truckers, talking about testing. So and, and now it's just a broad population appeal to anybody who thinks they might have come anywhere near anybody with COVID nineteen or has, you know, uh, and even looser than that. If you want to get a test, go get a test. So it makes me wonder: is it what is the purpose here? Is the idea to make sure they hit sixteen thousand tests a day, no matter who's being tested, because that's the target he set, 
or is there some rationale to what it means? And I, this takes me back to the role of the federal government. The prime minister said they're going to, you know, provide money to the provinces to ramp up testing and to make sure that they have all the supplies they need for testing. But again, what what is the national standard? What is it? Who is it that should be tested? Where are we going to find them? What are we doing to make sure that we have some way of, of discovering when the next wave is going to hit? Because right now it just seems to be a crapshoot. Provinces are doing what they want, and, and now in Ontario it's just, hey, anybody, please, 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 please come and get a test. Why? And what does it mean? And who is he talking to? Is that me? Do I get up tomorrow and go get a test, even though I have no signs, no symptoms? Uh, um, what are we supposed to think? And yeah. that's where we are. All right. And what about how prepared governments are for a second wave and and if it starts to happen a little bit more because there is more activity right now? Yeah, well, there's certainly more activity. The weather keeps getting nicer. People, and we're seeing these, as you touched on, these these images of people just ignoring the distancing rules and, and uh, you know, putting putting each other at peril and putting the rest of us at peril by not, not following the rules. Um so I guess the, uh, how how ready are we for the next wave? It, again, it comes back to what are we doing to make sure we can find out when the next wave hits, and sort of that takes us back to the whole testing uh, discussion. Maybe that's the way to do it. Maybe we, you know, I mean, how, where are we going to end up? Like, are we going to end up three weeks from now? Everybody whose address ends in an even even number, go get tested. Uh, it seems to me like it's there's no sort of rhyme and reason uh, to how the testing is being done, and maybe that's where we're going to end up. Maybe we're going to end up with with a system in in all provinces that's far more random than people talked about. Uh, because if we don't know exactly where this is, we don't know how to protect against it. And, and maybe there's some concern about doing that. If we, if we start discovering it in places we didn't think to look, that what does that say about the possibility of reopening the economy? That probably pushes everything back months. Yeah. All right, let's turn to the Conservative leadership race. And on the weekend, there was a story that one riding association president was floating the name of Stephen Harper, the former prime minister, as a potential candidate. Of course, there isn't room for another candidate in the field under the current rules right now. But uh, just the fact that that's happening, I think, speaks to the unusual dynamics of this race right now. There are a lot of people who are uh, on social media and I know in other formats, uh, lamenting the uh, the small field and uh, the performance of the candidates in the leadership race so far. Does that, even if that rumor is just that, and it seems unlikely that Stephen Harper would want to get back into politics or even that he could if he wanted to uh, through this leadership race, uh, does that not reflect on the quality of the race so far? Yeah, I think so. I think if you're, I, I think certainly when you have uh, a, a riding association president in the riding of Pontiac, which is uh, typically a, it's kind of a, it, it's usually a, a bellwether uh, riding in federal elections, uh, come out and say that. But, you know, I guess when I saw the story, I started to think to myself, okay, well, what's the purpose of this? This is one riding association president. Um, Sort of, you know, as you say, lamenting the lamenting the race so far, and and, and a kind of gee, wouldn't it be great to have, you know stop the whole thing, start it all over, and let's draft Stephen Harper and get him back? But conservatives had Stephen Harper; they lost an election with Stephen Harper. Does Stephen Harper want to come back? These are all big questions. If there was a movement 
to bring Stephen Harper back, and there was some talk that maybe Stephen Harper would be interested in that. And he's still got lots of people working inside the conservative movement that are loyal and faithful to him. I'm not sure you'd start it with a riding association president, Pontiac, Quebec. I think maybe you'd start it with a, a big-name conservative saying, look, it's time to stop what we're doing, and let's see if Stephen Harper wants to come back. Let's go back to the last time we had a, a winning government and a winning prime minister, and let's see if he's interested in coming back. But I don't know. It says a lot about the state of the race when nobody's happy with, or not nobody, but clearly there are people inside the Conservative Party that are not happy with the slate and the field and uh, wish they could have a do-over. Uh, probably too late for them. All right, let's turn to what happens in Parliament in the days and weeks ahead. We've been wondering exactly what format the House of Commons will take going forward. What is the latest on that, and what can we expect in in what was supposed to be the final month of the spring session of Parliament between now and the third week of June? Well, whatever the government uh, was to come up with, Mark, uh, it needed the support of one of the main opposition parties, and it looks like they've got it from the New Democrats. So uh, today we'll hear... Uh, some opposition from uh, not everybody will be happy with it, in particular the Conservatives won't like it, but I think the format we're going to end up with is four days a week, uh, in-person slash virtual sittings. Uh, I mean, it's not far off from what Conservatives have been asking for. They wanted uh, a full, basically, Parliament to get back to business. It does, even in that format, that's that's likely to be pushed through, uh, whether uh, at the last moment they can get unanimous consent, or uh, and that's seems unlikely but they'll get a majority vote and it'll go that'll be the deal by the end of the day and it'll be those four sittings a week uh, limited to i think it's uh, you know a a small number of mps with other mps from across the country brought in virtually Uh, but it's still going to be the uh, for the most part uh, as they do this through the summer, uh, four sittings, two in July, two in August. It's going to be largely the, the 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 COVID committee, special committee of Parliament, so focused on COVID. Although in the summertime, those uh, twice a month meetings in the summer uh, will be parliamentary sittings. They can focus on on uh, everything they wanted. To the to, to, for the Conservatives, I mean, the point, the point they're making is that if you're not there, if it's not a real parliamentary session. You know, you know, you don't have the same uh, orders uh, that allow you to, you know, private members' business to challenge certain things in the house. There's, there's all kinds of things they don't get. Uh, but by the same token, if uh, this is going to satisfy the majority uh, in Parliament, they're going to move forward on this. Uh, this is what we're going to get. And I think for most Canadians watching, uh, the story of the day and the story of the day uh, tomorrow and the story of the day the day after that is going to be COVID-19. I'm not sure Canadians are uh, upset that their parliamentarians would be focused on anything other than COVID-19 for the most part, uh, although that's the argument the Conservatives have been making. Have been making, and and also they make the point that look, it's it, it, there's it, why does it have to be all COVID related? There's lots of things we want to take this government to task, and I watch every one of these virtual sittings. I watch every one of the in-person sittings because, of course, they're on CPAC, uh, and you know it hasn't been there has not been that tight a rein on the questioning. They've been allowed to explore uh, other questions as well about the government's activities, not strictly limited to COVID nineteen. So we're going to see Parliament sitting, in some cases, with people in the chamber and also appearing virtually at the same time. Is that the model? That's the plan. 
So sitting in Parliament, a smaller number of MPs than the 338, and on a couple of big screens next to the Speaker, uh, MPs who uh, want to join from across the country remotely. And this, you know, when they ramp it up to four days a week, there'll be a little, a little bit more of a test of, of functionality, and that's another concern that the Conservatives have. They're worried about security and uh, hacking and so on. And still unresolved is the uh, the issue of voting. So the in-person sittings, I mean, they'll be able to vote, uh, but they have not yet found it'll be the members who are in the chamber. They've not yet, and uh, a special committee of parliamentarians will be tasked with that. They've not yet found a way to deal with um, uh, remote voting. And so they're going to be looking at that as we uh, you know, head down the road. How do they make that happen? Because right now the rules say that uh, votes uh, can only be held by uh, the members who are in the chamber at the time. Right. All right. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you so much for joining us today. All right, Mark. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In McLean's, Philippe J. Fournier considers the case for a snap election. Fournier writes, Is there a case to be made that Canadians ought to have the opportunity to vote on which party should lead them through the fiscal storm lurking over the horizon? Given strong approval numbers for the Liberals, the call of a fall-winter snap election could become too alluring to resist for the Prime Minister. And if, hypothetically... The Liberals face no other options than to increase taxes to pay for the emergency funds allocated left and right at the moment. One could safely bet the Liberals would prefer to secure a new mandate beforehand. In the Toronto Star, Jagdish Mann argues the pandemic's racist episodes reveal the other curve Canada still has to flatten. Mann writes, Canadians of Chinese descent have increasingly become the target of hate crime with the spread of the coronavirus. It's fair to acknowledge that the very diverse Canada of today is a more pluralistic and open country than its 20th century version of head taxes, discriminatory immigration policies, voting laws, and residential schools. But this social virus has never completely been eradicated. It's a reminder that we still have work to do in flattening not one, but two curves. At cbc.ca, Mark Sakamoto argues... We will need open minds to address ongoing problems at the other end of this crisis. Sakamoto writes, We're all contemplating what a return to some version of our old lives is going to look like. The good news is that Canada doesn't have to do it alone. This pandemic has highlighted how our deeply interconnected world can be so vulnerable to a virus. However, it has also shown us that our knowledge and expertise and hope can be shared just as quickly. We can and are looking to other jurisdictions around the world where things have gone right, and we are learning from them. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Both Ontario Premier Doug Ford and Quebec's François Legault can expect to face scrutiny at their daily coronavirus news conferences today. As CPAC's Martin Stringer reports, it's all related to where the pandemic is at in their two provinces as they continue opening up and loosening restrictions. Mark, it's no secret that Ontario and Quebec make up 80% of the COVID-19 cases in Canada and 85% of the deaths. And in both provinces, the trend of new cases hadn't gone down and in some cases was going up as they started to open up their economies and loosen up health restrictions. 
Last week was Ontario's first week of major opening up, but at the same time, Premier Ford had to fend off questions and concerns about the fact that for the past five days, the number of new cases has been on the increase. And for the past week, the province has been nowhere near reaching its goal for testing for the virus. In fact, the Premier, after having repeatedly admitted he's frustrated by the lack of progress on testing, publicly invited Ontarians on the weekend to get tested even if they only suspected they might have COVID-19. Couple that with the fact that in the province's largest city, Toronto, we saw television footage over the weekend of large crowds gathering and breaking social distancing rules. In Quebec, the number of deaths and new cases of COVID-19 remains stubbornly high. And this week marks the most risky stage of all in Canada, the reopening of many stores in the epicentre of the coronavirus crisis, downtown Montreal. So Mark, it will be a day to watch in the provinces representing the lion's share of Canada's COVID-19 infection. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the President of France and the Chancellor of Germany before a news conference with an update on the coronavirus situation. This afternoon, he will attend Question Period. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 25th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus situation. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.